0: This is the NC State Tripartisan Podcast, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's your host for the NC State Tripartisan Podcast from insidepacksports.com, James Henderson. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Tripartisan NC State Podcast. And tonight we're going to talk Wolfpack basketball, Wolfpack women's basketball, and some, some spring football, which started this week. So let's begin, obviously, with NC State men's basketball. It's been a tough couple of games for the Wolfpack, going back to Saturday. Obviously, we taped this podcast last week after NC State's win over Duke, which put NC State at eight and seven overall in the conference and and, and in pretty good shape. And they followed that up with a loss to home at home to Florida State, sixty seven sixty one, followed by an eighty five seventy nine loss at North Carolina. I think the game against Florida State was more, in my opinion, acceptable if you are NC State. Uh, Florida State came into that top 10 team and for me you know it was really the first time I had a chance to watch Florida State play in person this year and I hadn't had a chance to watch much of them this season but I was really impressed with them a uh, very athletic team uh, under Leonard Hamilton they're you know they fit their systems well I mean he's been there for so long that he's been able to recruit to to their their schemes offensively and defensively and have a lot of depth. I thought that was the thing that really stood out. I mean, they, they sub in 10, 11 guys, and there's really no drop-off. I mean, they don't have a headliner. You know, if you're looking at a Vernon Carey from Duke or a, a Markel Johnson for NC State, they don't have a headlining guy like that, in my opinion, but they have so much depth that they really don't need it. And I think that's what makes them dangerous. And NC State really struggled with their size and athleticism, especially in the second half. You know, NC State played well in that first half. But FSU came out in the second half, made shots, and really clamped down defensively. And and State wasn't able to overcome that. Uh, State led at the half, I believe, by five points, went on to lose 67-61. And and like I said, I mean, I thought Florida State impressed me. I I think right now Florida State's the best team in the league. Um, I I think they're top to bottom, have the deepest roster. Uh, Like I said, I mean, with with Leonard being there for, for what seems like forever now, you know, they've really recruited well to their schemes, to their system. They have good chemistry, and they're just playing good basketball. Uh, they fl- followed up that win against NC State with a big win Monday night against Louisville, you know, in a game that I think put them in first place. And, and so really impressed with Florida State. I didn't take a ton negatively away from that game for NC State. That was going to be a tough game to win. Even at home, NC State was an underdog. But but I thought they gave themselves a chance to win it, which is what you want to do against a top 10 team. You want to play well and, and put yourself in a chance to, or put yourself in a position to win that game. I thought against North Carolina, though, state could have played better, uh, lost that game by six, even though North Carolina was favored. You know, UNC came in seven game losing streak, hadn't won since they won in Raleigh and state just you know just jumped out to an early 10 nothing lead playing very good basketball to start the game then they started missing some str- some shots i thought they got uh i thought they started to settle for jumpers a little too much they didn't really drive the basketball as much as they needed to whereas north carolina was looking to attack the paint almost every possession and it led the unc get into the free throw line more frequently and to me i thought that was the difference in the game i thought it was north carolina's ability to score what I like to call other points, uh, they outscored NC State in fast break, fifteen to nine. They outscored NC State at the free throw line by eleven, and so you add that up. I mean, that's a seventeen point difference, and and that's really you know how how you lose the game for NC State, you know, to lose that game by six. You know, Garrison Brooks played well for North Carolina, but I didn't think he was the big factor. I mean, he scored thirty points, but it wasn't a uh, you know a, a typical thirty points. He only made eight field goals. He shot 14 of 16 from the free-throw line despite being a 56% free-throw shooter. So, you know, a little bit of flukiness there to his numbers. But I thought that the, the X factor in the game for, for North Carolina was Christian Keeling, yeah. uh, the grad transfer guard. He came in averaging six points per game. Finished with 16 on 7 and 9 shooting from the field. Very efficient night. And, and I felt like for NC State, going on the road, they needed that type of a performance from one of their role players. And – Ultimately, when you have a lot of these close games, it comes down to which team has a guy like Keeling step up. And in this game, it was him. Uh, you know, for NC State, they didn't get that type of an effort from Jericho Helms or, or, or Braxton Beverly or, you know, Manny Bates or anybody like that. Even even their main guys, you know, outside of Markel Johnson and DJ DJ Funderburg, I thought C.J. Bryce really struggled. Devin Daniels only played 23 minutes, dealt with foul trouble. So he didn't put up his typical numbers and and because of that they weren't able to get over the hump and that's a frustrating loss i know for nc state fans to lose both games to north carolina this year considering how bad north carolina is this season that's not a loss that nc state fans want to want to deal with or want to want to experience two losses to north carolina but unc still a really talented team unc still has a hall of fame coach I mean, that's never an easy game for NC State, you know, even even when UNC's down because North Carolina, under Roy Williams, you know, they they value this rivalry and they, they look to um, win that game. I mean, this isn't a game despite the fact they normally win it. It's not a, a situation where they overlook NC State at all. I mean, Roy Williams grew up in this state. He understood that, that you know, the UNC-NC State rivalry when he was a kid – it was the big rivalry. It wasn't UNC and Duke. So he he puts extra emphasis on this game, and you can tell it from his players. I thought UNC played really hard. And and going in, I knew it was going to be a tough game for NC State, but I thought State could have – they could have won that game. They just didn't make enough of the plays um, in the second half. You know, I thought it was interesting. They jumped out to a seven-point lead to start the second half. And then North Carolina went on a 19 to four run, and that really busted the game open for UNC. And State couldn't completely close that gap. They got it to three points, and and you know we talked about UNC being on a seven game losing streak, but really they've just been unable to close games. You know they lost to Duke in in a double overtime after leading at the end of regulation or going in you know going into the final seconds. Duke had to hit a buzzer beater to force overtime. They lost to Virginia and Notre Dame both on buzzer beaters, games they were leading. Virginia hit a buzzer, be- a buzzer beater at the buzzer. Uh, Notre Dame hit one with, I think, .3 seconds left. And so that's two games they probably are telling themselves they should have won. Uh, you know, went to Florida State. I just spent the first five minutes of this podcast talking about how good Florida State is. North Carolina went to Florida State and, and lost, I think, by one in that game. So their record's a little deceiving with them losing seven straight games. They just hadn't been able to close out games whereas against NC State I think the last 90 seconds I think they hit 8 of 8 free throws to close the game out you know if you're making free throws once you got a lead you're not losing and and UNC made every free throw down the stretch and and was able to to secure the win so disappointing loss for NC State leaves them at 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 uh, 8 and 9 now in ACC play with 3 games left they've got pit this week at sat on Saturday at noon Follow that up Monday night at Duke, which won't be easy. And then they end the regular season Friday in Raleigh in PNC Arena against Wake Forest at 7 o'clock Friday night. So two, in my opinion, two very winnable games with Pittsburgh and Wake. And then you've got the tough one against Duke, but that's a team NC State's already beat. I think if they can beat Pitt and Wake, you know, they'll get the 10-10 and in the league and keep themselves in a position to be right there on that bubble. Obviously, if you go and beat Duke, I mean, that's a huge game changer for you. That might lock up a bid for NC State in the NCAA tournament to get them another big, big win. But they've got to take care of business now against the teams you should beat, and that's Pitt and Wake Forest. And so it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, by the next time we take this podcast, it'll probably be before the Wake Forest game, so we'll know where things stand with Pitt and Duke. But State's got to get the, get it. They've got to win this Pittsburgh game. They've got to. I think if you win the Pitt game to get into nine to nine. You go to Duke, you don't have as much pressure on you there. Uh, obviously, that's that's a game you want to get, but it's also, I think, a, a win-win situation because you're the underdog. There's not a ton of expectations for you to go to Cameron and win that game. And so if you're able to do so, I think NC State could potentially lock up an NCAA tournament bid. Looking at women's basketball, I think they've been in a tailspin lately, and – I know for a lot of NC State fans, which have started to focus on women's basketball even more, it's, it's been frustrating because, you know, you look back a couple weeks ago and NC State controlled his own destiny relative to winning the ACC. And since that point, I mean, the Louisville game on Thursday, February 13th, NC State came into that, that game 11-1 uh, and one in ACC play and 22-1 and one overall and was riding high. I mean, it was top five in the country, projected number one seed. They lose to Louisville by seven, follow that up with a Sunday afternoon loss to Georgia Tech at home by four, went on the road and got a big win against Miami, only to come back home and lose to Duke by five uh, Monday night. And so they had lost three straight home games and three out of their last four going into the Thursday night game against Syracuse. And, And luckily for NC State, they were able to win that one, even though it was close. You know, won that game by eight by eight sixty nine sixty one a game that was really contested. Syracuse is a good team; they're playing without their best player, um, so State had to find a way to win that game. Syracuse is a little down this year from a record standpoint, but they, you know, they knocked off Louisville at home, so they've clearly got talent. But State was able to do what they needed to do and get that win, and it keeps them in second place in the ACC. I think they're they're pretty much eliminated from winning the conference now, which again, like I said, is frustrating because they had a position to do something that state hasn't done since the early 90s, and that's win an ACC title in in one of the four main sports. And so women's basketball was in a position to do so, but couldn't capitalize on that, couldn't do it. And luckily for them here, they were able to get this win against Syracuse, which they really, really needed to get. And they end the regular season Sunday at Virginia. Virginia's down this year. That's another game state should be able to get. And keep themselves in a position to get that two seed, and then next week we'll be in the ACC tournament, and they're going to be able to take their shot. You know, they're going to be able to likely get a, you know, uh, an easy game the first the first night out, and then you know that three seed they'll face maybe Duke again, which is giving them problems, and that won't be an easy game. And then obviously you're going to have either FSU or 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 um, Louisville looming in the potential title game, so you can still win a conference title, but but I do think you know Westmore can't be happy with where his team's at right now. Uh, this was a team that was humming going into that end that uh Louisville game. Had won multiple games by double digits and was playing really really good basketball and I mean the last four games they just lost a lot of it and I think a lot of it's been their offense. They've not been able to score a ton of points and that's really kind of impacted them on what all they've been trying to do because for for state, you know, offensively, well well with this team with Westmore, Moore his systems have generally been built on defense and he wants to win games with defense but the problem is NC State's been turning the ball over so much it's been leading to easy baskets for the opposition and really igniting the other team's offense and that's put even more pressure on NC State's offense to produce at a level that it's probably not producing at right now given the, the inconsistencies they've been having at the guard position offensively and so they need to get back on track in terms of not turning the ball over, playing sound defense, and letting their defense win games for them. And and that's what they've done. That's what they were doing a lot earlier in the season. I mean, you go back and look at a lot of these earlier games. I mean, you had teams that were were barely getting the sixty points against NC State. I mean, it was a struggle. And and so that that's not been the case here recently. And I, I think that's where you look at your offense impacting your defense. And that's one of the, the issues that I'd imagine Wes Moore will have with his team right now is the fact that the offensive inefficiency is impacting his defense. And he, he takes so much pride in playing really good defense. I know that's going to be frustrating for him. So NC State's going to have a chance now at 23-4 and overall, 12-4 and in ACC play to beat Virginia, lock up that number two seed in the ACC tournament and give themselves a chance. You know, I mean, they can get to that final game and and you get Louisville in a winner-take-all, you can win that title that that you've not been able to get. But it won't be easy. Louisville's playing really good basketball right now. And I think if you're NC State, you're probably focused on trying to get back on track, get back to playing the level of basketball you were before that Louisville game and see if you can get get that win and win a, a conference title. We'll be right back after this. NC State started spring practice this week, uh, Thursday afternoon, Thursday morning, excuse me, and a lot of questions about the team. And, and, you know, from a media standpoint, we've generally over the years been given access to the first practice, but that wasn't the case this year. We were not allowed to go out and actually watch and video and and different things like that at practice. We did get some availability post-practice with Dave Doran and, and several players, but we didn't get a chance to watch some of the the site, you know, some of the the drills and different things like that. And and I think some of it's due to there's just been so much turnover at NC State the last six months, even the last year. You know, if you go back to 2018, there's only one assistant still left on the staff from from the 2018 season, and that's George McDonald. They've they've replaced nine assistants essentially the last two years. And because of that, you, you know, when you go out to practice, I'm sure there's there's that I don't want to say tension, but there's that that situation where you've got new assistant trying to get across to new players, and maybe you don't want to expose that awkwardness to the media uh, at the start of spring practice. So instead, you close that practice, you know, open up availability after the fact, and allow and allow you know media to talk with players afterwards. But in terms of us being able to get in and see things that they're not allowing that this year. So it's hard for me to give you perspective on what all is going on, but I can tell you that one of the big things to take away going into the spring is that Dave Dorn is confident enough in Devin Leary at quarterback to say he is the starter right now. It's not really a competition. Now he did say that the other quarterbacks are competing to try and take the job from him, but it's his job. And I think that's an important distinction. You know, you're not going in saying we've got five guys and they're all competing for the job or – It's going to be a competition between Devin and Bailey, and we can see what the young guys can do after that. You don't have that. You've got him saying Devin Leary's the starter. Can someone be better than him? And for me, if I'm Leary, I I would love that confidence that the head coach is showing in you. And this is interesting with with Leary because, you know, he's going into – he just completed his redshirt freshman season. And for the first time now, going into the spring, he's the number one guy – that's going to get the majority of the reps. And I think that's really going to benefit his growth. You go back to last spring, it was a quarterback, an open quarterback competition. You had Matt McKay, you had Bailey Hockman, you had Devin Leary. All three of those guys were splitting reps, trying to get, trying to win the job. I think Leary was likely operating as the number three guy in the spring. And so because of that, he wasn't getting a ton of reps. And then you go into the fall camp when it felt like uh, Matt McKay and Bailey Hockman had created some separation – that's even less reps for him. And so fall camp, spring practice, he didn't get a ton of work. And then he goes into the season. He's the third guy on the depth chart. You're clearly not getting a ton of work during during the week. You play the first five or six games of the year with the other two guys getting a majority of the snaps. Then you get thrown into the game. And so he finishes out the season as the starter, but he didn't have that growth period of where he's just getting soaked with different – with reps – and really being able to to kind of grow and develop as a quarterback, and I think because of that, this spring he's gonna he's gonna be a completely different quarterback after this spring, because he's gonna get 15, 16 straight practices of just working with the receivers, working within the offense, learning the new system under Tim Beck, gaining confidence, you know, gaining knowledge of, of the things they're going they're they're going to require him to do, as opposed to just being thrown in the fire and say go win us ball games. And so I think from a growth standpoint, the expectation is you should see a better version of Devin Leary coming out of spring practice, which is really, I think, a good thing for NC State because he's a guy who has a high ceiling as a quarterback. Really strong arm. He's mobile. He can make all the throws you want a quarterback to be able to make. It's just a matter of settling down, developing and being more consistent. And when you're dealing with a redshirt freshman quarterback, the number one thing, you're going to always get to inconsistency. I mean, nine times out of ten, a redshirt freshman is not going to be consistent at quarterback. Even guys who are who have really good redshirt freshman or true freshman seasons, they have periods of struggling because they're just not used to what that environment every single week. And, and I think Leary built, dealt with that early on. You know, he, he wasn't ready for, to be thrown into that role And so he had to kind of develop. And as the season went on, he got better. But I think he's capable of taking another step, which is going to make him, I think, a legit option to be NC State's quarterback going forward. And so I know a lot of NC State fans wonder, will State look to bring in a grad transfer? I'm not saying they won't. But I think they're truly operating as if they believe Devin Leary can be their guy in 2020 and going forward, uh, one other thing I want to talk about on, on the spring practice, and then we'll, we'll talk more football as the weeks go on. But, you know, it is interesting to talk about how they're looking to transition to a new new defense under Tony Gibson. But it's funny because the scheme's not really changing. It's still going to be a 3-3 three, three, three front. It just sounds like it's going to be much more um, diverse, much more blitz-heavy, a lot of different looks you're going to give to the opposition – and those are the tweaks you're going to see from Tony Gibson that I believe can make NC State better defensively. They're going to really work to try and help out their cor- their corners so they may play more coverage. They're going to switch up coverages. They're going to do some different things on the front end to try to get to the quarterback quicker. I think you're going to see a much more aggressive defense, and, and that's what they want to have. They want to be aggressive and play downhill defensively. NC State has a ton of talent on defense. It's all a matter of the, about those guys gaining experience. And I think if you look at the defense going into this season, uh, I want to say you have, I'm trying to say it off the top of my head, you've probably got two projected senior starters on that defense. So it's going to be a very young defense. It's going to be a, a, a unit that's capable of going out there and playing at a high level despite being young. And so, spring, you know, I just talked about it with Devin Leary, how important it is. It's even more important for the defense because that, that's a unit that has lost some attrition in, in the offseason. Four defensive ends are no longer around. Brock Miller, a, a starting linebacker, transferred out the program. Nick McCloud's not returning. Jerry's Moorhead graduated. So, you know, there, there's some turnover there. Um, and, and so these guys in the spring, they're going to have to use these reps to, to get better. But like I said, we'll talk more about spring football going forward. Uh, it's going to be a four- or five-week period, which should extend through April. And so we'll have plenty to talk about. Hopefully we may have a day or two where they'll give us some coverage and and give me a better chance to give you more information on NC State football at that point. But but from here on out, you know, last couple weeks, next couple of weeks coming up, it's going to be mainly basketball. you have got the ACC tournament coming up for women's, for the women next week, then the men the following week, and then we'll see if NC State's able to make the NCAA tournament. So for this edition of the Tripartisan NC State Podcast, my name's James Henderson. Make sure you join me again next time. You've been listening to the NC State Tripartisan Podcast with host from InsidePacksports.com, James Henderson. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALSportsFan.com, the WRAL SportsFan app, and you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the NC State Tri. Partisan Podcast.